I'm going to ask Corey and his family and our elders and their wives to join me on the stage, if you would, please. Today is an exciting and landmark day in the life of the Riverside Church as we are excited and have anticipated a time to welcome a new voice, a new person, as Jared said, to step into the pulpit, and a new team member of the Riverside Church. And before we proceed, I'm, I'm reminded of a few scriptures that were very, very meaning. Step up here so we can all see the beauty of your family here. I'm reminded of a few passages that were very meaningful uh, when God called me into ministry. I'm reminded of Hebrews chapter 13, verse 7, where it says that Christian leaders are to conduct themselves in a way that the outcome of their lives and their faith can be imitated by the rest of the church. I'm reminded of 1 Timothy 4, where Paul encourages a young leader named Timothy to set an example in speech, in life, in faith, in purity. I'm also reminded of another spot in 1 Timothy 5 where Paul says we're not to be hasty in the laying on of hands. And so with God's clear word in mind and a prayerful commitment, uh, we join our voices and hearts together today to ordain you to this ministry to which God has called. And so we're all around here. And I'm going to turn it over to Clark who will sort of get us going. Over 14 months ago, an important uh, day happened in the timeline of our church where we began to seek, pray for, and discern for God to lead the next preacher, preaching minister uh, for Riverside Church of Christ. For several years, Corey and his family have been praying for God to lead them to the right church family where he can demonstrate his talents and his love for the word. And we feel like today is that day where these have come together. We feel like the Holy Spirit has, has led us to this point. And uh, so we are very, very uh, excited for this day to be here. Corey is going to be studying. He's going to be praying, preaching, teaching, and pastoring this church in many significant ways in the years to come. And so with that in mind, John Pauley, Doug Betacek, and Doug Johnston are going to say a few words here as well as leading the comments and charges to Corey and to us as a body of believers here at Riverside. Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that the church might serve in his name. Through the Spirit, God entrusts the church with gifts. It's our conviction that you demonstrate the gifts and manner of the life that are necessary for Christian ministry, specifically to serve with us as our preaching minister. Please be attentive of your own spiritual developments. You owe this to God, yourself, your family, and the church. Grow in the faith. Seize every opportunity to enlarge your understanding of God, Scripture, the members of this body, and yourself. Be a worshiper that leads us to worship. Remember the words of 2 Timothy 1.7, For God did not give us a spirit of timidity, but a spirit of power, of love, and of self-discipline. Corey, do you trust in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, the head of the church? And do you accept the Old and New Testaments to be Scripture, God's holy and inspired witness to Jesus Christ? Absolutely. Will you faithfully use the gifts God has given you to edify, mature, and bring unity to this church as we all seek to glorify God? With all my heart. 
Will you be a friend and colleague among your co-workers in ministry, working in harmony with the members and leaders of this congregation? Yes, I will. Will you govern the way you live by loving God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, loving your neighbor as yourself, and upholding the gospel as you work for the reconciliation of the world? Yes. Will you accept the calling as a minister of the gospel to live a life of moral character and integrity, setting example for believers in speech, in life, in love, in faith, and in purity? Yes, I will. Will you serve and equip this church with energy, intelligence, imagination, creativity, love, and care after the model of Jesus Christ? Absolutely. Thank you for accepting that charge. Mm -hmm. May God bless you and your family as you begin your ministry here. Thank you. Now, Doug Bedicek is going to give a charge to the church. Brothers and sisters, today is an opportunity for us all to recommit ourselves to the life and ministry of this church. And just as we invite Corey and his family to minister among us, may we also partner with them in the kingdom. May our attitude and conduct toward them reflect the spirit of Christ. May we bear the burdens and share their joys as we all reach in unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ, as it says in Ephesians 4.13. So, would you please stand with us? At the end of my reading, I would ask that you affirm your commitment by saying we will. Will we, the members of Riverside Church, accept the Trevathan family, Corey, Alicia, Will, Ella Grace, and Emma Love, as they serve with us, promise them our love, support, and encouragement, dedicate ourselves to the ministries God has given each of us, and pledge ourselves to encourage and love the Trevathan family as members of our family and partners in ministry. We will. We're going to go to God in prayer now. If I have this group here, surround this family, and uh, let this prayer be your prayer for them as well. Let's bow. Our great and mighty God, we bow before you this morning, Father, approaching your throne out of a place of worship out of a place of praise, out of a place of acknowledgement that you're here, that you're with us, and out of just an understanding of just how faithful and powerful you've always been in this church, the way that you've always given us what we need, the way you always respond, the way that you've always touched and changed lives to the people who have loved and served here, Father. And this morning is testimony to that. This morning is part of that celebration for well over a year, faithfulness has prevailed and people praying and calling to you father for what you wanted next for this church and you've responded in, in, a, in a way that was clear and obvious in a in a way that is great blessing and, and testimony to your faithfulness to us father because we didn't pray out of a, a spirit that thought hopefully you will but thought confidently that certainly you would because you always have God we ask you this morning first of all to bless the Trevathan family Thank you for their courage 
to come join. Thank you for their faithfulness for that. Thank you for, for and, and we'll learn more as we grow with them about the way you've worked in their lives to this point, Father. We are the recipient of a lot of learning and blessing that you've created in them, God. We pray that this will be everything they thought it would be, that it would be a place where they can can find love and faith and together find a relationship that's, that soars and find uh, friend relationships that will challenge them and bless them and but also find a relationship where their family can grow deep roots here and their children can learn about faith and joy and, and blessings that your, your church only provides. Father, all that is just, uh, we want it for them and honestly we expect that for them. This is that kind of place, Father. We also ask, God, that you would help us be faithful of commitments and vows we just made to them. They're here to bless us, and we're here to bless them back, Father. And we just uh, personally, let's take it very personal that we all make it our, uh, our desire to journey with them, Father. And it's out of that whole spirit that this morning is really a morning of not culmination but anticipation. God, what are, you, what are you going to do next? You know, what lives do you want to touch? Where do you want to show your power in this body and this community? Father, where do you want us to be part of that? Father, and it's in that that we humbly uh, pray to show us. Help us be that body that you want. Help us to be that light to this community. Help us to be that help to the hurting. Father, it's in that spirit we pray for you now. Would you bless us? Would you show us, would you give us a mindset that will bless everyone and bless this community? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, you guys. Thank you, Sam. You guys are great. Thank you all. No pressure. Wow. Don't know who your new preacher is, but I can't wait to meet him. <laughs> Unreal. Thank you, guys. God is good, and his love endures forever. Amen? Amen. I was texting with Kurt Johnson last night. I told him he, was, he told me he was praying for me, and I was like, man, it's like Christmas Eve for me. I can't wait for today, and I can't wait to be with you. And to, to come into this moment and... Um, you know, we don't know what's ahead, but I know who goes before us, as DJ led us a while ago. And um, I'm so thankful that I don't know how many years ago I met this man who changed my life, and his name is Jesus of Nazareth, and I want you to know him too. I want you to know him too. So today's going to be a great day, and, um, and I'm looking forward uh, to today. I, I want you to know um, how humbled and honored I am uh, to come into this moment and to stand here with you. I want, to know, I want you to know how excited I am that, uh, that our family gets to do life with your family, and we're excited uh, to do just that. Uh, but I also want you to know that I stand before you, but I stand before you on the shoulders of a lot of great men and women who have, who have gone before me and who have led me and who have carried me to this point. And, um, and I'm just really grateful. I have a heart uh, full of thanks to you, to this church, uh, for taking a chance on a guy like me. Um, to all those who have helped me to this point, and, uh, and just for our great God who has loved us and who has carried us all. Amen? So today is going to be a good day. Um, 
do you know what it's like? I mean, I don't know all of you very well yet. I've gotten to know some of your names, and I'll just confess. I've confessed this already in the room that I'm not always that great with names. And so if you have to remind me more than once, please don't be offended. Just look at it as one of my weaknesses, because it is. But do you know what it's like to be known or to be fully known? Do you know what it's like um, to have a friend so close that, uh, you know, you can finish each other's sentences um, Alicia and I are this way sometimes, and it's really, uh, it's weird. You know, I'll be, I'll just be thinking about, we'll be driving down the road, I'll be thinking about something, and then she'll start talking about it. I'm like, whoa, how did you know? Like, I was exactly thinking that exact thing, and, and, and it goes both ways, and it's just like we're in sync. You know, we can know each other's thoughts. It's not always that way. Like, sometimes I'm thinking I want to watch college football, and HGTV comes on, so I haven't got this perfected yet, but I'm working on it. But do you know what it's like? Do you know what it's like to fully know someone and to be fully known by someone? Um, I, I remember when I was a junior at Lipscomb University. So this is back uh, in the 90s, believe that. And, um, and I walked down the stairs with my roommate. It was the first day of class. And we go through the lobby. And as soon as we entered the lobby, I saw sitting at the, at the welcome desk there in our dorm... Uh, this girl, and we stepped out of the doors uh, outside of, of High Rise uh, dorm, and I, I looked at my, my roommate, Matt, and I said, Matt, I cannot wait to meet that girl. Now, guys, teenagers especially, this was before the days of Facebook, um, Twitter, Instagram, Snapchat, all that. So you couldn't stalk someone online. You had to actually stalk them. I know it sounds creepy. But uh, you would like follow people that you wanted to get to know better, like around campus. And it was really, like it's probably against the law now. But um, you had to like talk to people to learn about them. It's a really foreign concept. Uh, but you would do this. And so I began to like kind of stalk her around campus, find out what classes she was going to, find out what her name was, find out who her friends were. Then kind of do the whole thing about asking them like, you know, kind of where she's from and, and, and where she's going to be and what kind of her plans are. And, and I learned through this process, it's really hard. I learned through this whole process. It took like weeks. Um, I had a bite. No, I didn't. But it took a long time. And I found out she was going to be on the steps of uh, alumni auditorium, this big uh, place in the middle of campus at this devotional on Wednesday night called uh, Singing on the Steps. Really cool name. And, um, and so I rushed that Wednesday night to get there um, so I could be there and hopefully get the chance to meet her and to see her and get to know her. And of course, I'm talking about the girl who would become my future wife, Alicia, who's walking in right now. And um, that night, I still remember what she was wearing. I still remember uh, what we did. I still remember the first time uh, we locked eyes and we met. And in that moment, you know my desire. My desire was I wanted to know as much as I possibly could about her, you know? Like, I wanted to know everything. I want to know about her mom, her dad, her brothers, her sisters, her pets, her aunts, her uncles. I want to know where she was from. I wanted to know what was important to her, what she was into, what kind of music she liked, what kind of food she liked. I wanted to know everything I possibly could about her, right? Because I just, I had this desire to get to know her more and to know her better. But, you know, there is a difference. I think we know this. Because we all know what it's like to be known. We know what it's like to want to be known by somebody or to want to know someone more. But I think we all know this too, that there is a difference between knowing about someone and knowing someone. Are you with me on that? There's a difference. You can know all about someone and not even know them. You can know all about someone. You can know when their birthday is and what kind of clothes they wear. And you can follow them on Twitter and Instagram and hashtag this. But there's a difference between knowing about someone and actually knowing someone. And I wonder for a lot of us who 
who sit in churches every Sunday, if we fall into this trap of wanting to know as much as we possibly could about God, of learning all the facts about Jesus, of having all the answers to all the trivia questions about the Bible, but we've never met the man. I think this is one of the reasons that some Christians you meet are some of the meanest people in the world. This is the reason when you go out into the world, there are some people who won't give the church or Jesus the time of day because they've met those people who have called themselves his followers. And the truth is, they aren't his followers. They just, they just know all the facts. But they've never met the man. And what I want to draw us into, what I want us to step into, is not just knowing all that we possibly can about Jesus. That's all well and good, and I'm, I'm a big fan of that. But I want to draw us into a relationship of knowing Jesus of Nazareth and spending all of our days following after him. You know, Jesus had the 12 disciples. You're familiar with those guys, but he really had a pretty big following. There were a lot of disciples, a lot of followers of Jesus, a lot of friends, a lot of people that would even travel with him from place to place. Two of those followers, you probably know their names. We're going to read a story about them here in John 11. Mary and Martha were two of Jesus' closest followers, disciples, two of his closest friends. And, and we read their story over and over again throughout the Gospels. But John kind of hones in on the story in John 11. This morning we're going to take just sort of a, a, a wide glance at it. We'll come back to it later, I'm sure, because it's a great story. But John tells us this story in John 11 about two of these closest friends of Jesus. And these two ladies, these two sisters, they, they knew Jesus. They didn't just know about him. Like, they met the man. Like, he came and he had supper in their house. Uh, these, these ladies were important to his ministry. And I want this morning to kind of dive into the story. And I want you to, uh, not so we can learn more about Jesus. That's not the goal here. But I want you to come to know him more. And I want you to see how they knew him and understand what it is to know this man who we claim to follow, Jesus of Nazareth. And so in, in, John, in John 11, you read these words. A man named Lazarus was sick. And he lived in Bethany with his sisters, Mary and Martha. This is the Mary who had later poured expensive perfume on the Lord's feet and wiped them with her hair. Her brother Lazarus was sick. So the two sisters sent a message to Jesus telling him, Lord, your dear friend is very sick. But when Jesus heard about it, he said, Lazarus' sickness will not end in death. And it would happen for the glory of God so that the Son of God will receive glory from this. So although Jesus loved Martha, Mary, and Lazarus, he stayed where he was for the next two days. So you get the picture, right? Jesus has these friends, Mary and Martha, and they send word to him as their friend. Now, how cool would it be if your, one of your friends, one of the people in your inner circle was, was, was Jesus, right? I mean, you've seen this guy teach, you've seen him preach, you've seen him heal people. This is like the best health insurance policy you could ever have. You're thinking ahead of time, man, I've seen him do that for them. And we're like tight, we're friends, we're in the same circle. So if any one of us ever gets sick, we know he'll just like wave his hand over us and we're going to be good. We're going to live good long lives together. Knowing Jesus is like, you know, a friend with the ultimate benefit, right? This is going to be an amazing thing. And you wonder like, at what point did, did Jesus and Lazarus cross that threshold of not just knowing about each other, but knowing each other. 
Like, I wonder when that happened. You know, were they hanging out one night, just talking late, playing cards? I don't know. It would be terrible to play cards with Jesus because he would always know your hand, you know? <laughs> you know, how did this happen? You know, sitting around the campfire telling stories and Jesus like, yeah, I know that one, I know that one. Like, I'm sure Jesus would have made a terrible friend. But at some point, they crossed this threshold of not just knowing about each other, but actually becoming friends, Becoming friends. And Mary and Martha send word to Jesus and they say, your dear friend. Your translation may say, the one whom you dearly or deeply love. The one who is loved. It's literally the word for that friendship of of brotherly love. He, that one, that friend, the friend you care so much about, is sick. We need you. We're calling in that favor. We need you to come. And they call Jesus their friend. I don't know what word you use for Jesus, but I hope friend is one of those words. I hope you know that the King of kings and the Lord of lords and the Prince of peace and the God of the universe, the one who said, let there be light and stars flowing across the galaxy, wants to be known as your friend. Like that's who we're talking about. That's his desire and his terminology for a relationship with you and with me. And they, so they send word to Jesus and they say, your friend, your friend is sick. And maybe this is a hard word for you. I know it's a hard word for some people when they think about God, when they think about Jesus, because like Mary and Martha, there have been times when you needed Jesus to be a friend and to show up in the moment and to arrive on time. And to deliver on his promises. And it seems like, just like in this story, he was late to the party. It seems like you were left waiting. In fact, if you're honest, you felt a little burned. And even as I'm talking, you're thinking back right now to that moment, to that prayer, to that day when that happened. And the question you were asking is, where are you? Where are you when I needed you? This is the nature of what it is to be in a relationship with anyone, but it's true of Jesus too. But here's the amazing thing about the story is even though Jesus wasn't near, he was near. Even though it seemed like Jesus was physically far away, he was fully aware of every detail of the situation. In fact, he knew their situation even better than they knew their situation. He already knew. He had an idea about how the story was going to end. And the story wasn't going to end in death. The story was going to end in such a way that it was going to be for their good and for his Father's ultimate glory. So even when it seems like in the moment he's not near, he couldn't be more present. And even when it seems like he's far away, he is your very best friend. But he's more than a friend. He's your friend, but he's more than a friend. And the story continues. You jump down to the next verse and you read these words. Finally, you kind of get the idea that John is saying like, this took forever. Finally, he said to his disciples, let's go back to Judea. But his disciples objected, Rabbi, they said. Only a few days ago, the people in Judea were trying to stone you. Are you going to go there again? Thomas, and I love this because sometimes Thomas gets a bad rap, doubting Thomas, you know the story. Thomas, nicknamed the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let's go too and die with Jesus. Don't you love Thomas in this moment? And they call Jesus not friend. These disciples call Jesus their rabbi. 
And I love that right now, this church in our, in, our, in our classes on Sunday morning, we're walking through this idea of what does it mean to be a disciple? I think Thomas gets it. He's like, Rabbi, we're going to follow you back to Judea, wherever you want to go. Even if that means that we die, we will follow you. You see, growing up in their culture in that day and time as a Jewish boy or as a Jewish girl, you would study the Torah, the first five books of your Old Testament, you know, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. That's all I can remember, but that's those five. And, and, and by age 13, you would have large portions, if not the entire thing, memorized. Aren't you glad you didn't grow up in that culture, right? It's like every day is homework, you know? And if you, if you showed like some signs that, that you're getting this, like this is your thing, then you would progress to the next station, to Beth Midrash. You would become a Telmed, a disciple. If not, if you're a girl, you would go on and begin your family. If you were a guy, you would go on and pick up a trade like carpentry or something. But for those that, that certain rabbis saw who taught them as special or select, they would choose them to be their Telmeds, their disciples. And to be a disciple, what that meant for you is it meant that you wanted to be like your rabbi in every way. You wanted to be what your disciple was. And so you would want to do life with him. You would want, want to walk with him. You, every, you went where he went. You slept where he slept. You listened to every word and you hung on every word that he said. You would follow so closely in the footsteps of your rabbi that the dust churned up from his feet would cover you. And to be covered in the dust of your rabbi was a good thing. You wanted to be like him in every way. And this morning I'm wondering, are you a disciple of Jesus? Really? Do you want to be like your rabbi in every way? Are you consumed with a deep desire to know Jesus as your ever-present teacher? The one who in every moment is wanting to lead you and walk with you and talk with you and tell you what it is to know him and to know God. Are you a disciple? Because Jesus is a friend, but he's more than a friend. He's your rabbi. He is your ever-present teacher. And even though he's a rabbi, he's more than a rabbi. And the story goes on. We jump down a few verses. When Jesus arrived at Bethany, he was told that Lazarus had already been in the grave for four days. Jesus, you're late. Bethany was only a few miles down the road from Jerusalem, and many of the people had come to console Martha and Mary in their loss. And when Martha got word that Jesus was coming, she went to meet him. But Mary stayed in the house. Martha said to Jesus, I love these words, they're so honest. Lord, if only you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus told her, your brother will rise again. Yes, Martha said, he will rise when everyone else rises at the last day. Like she's already believing in the resurrection on the last day. I know that's gonna happen one day. Jesus told her, I am the resurrection and the life and anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. Everyone who lives in me and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this, Martha? And hear her words. Yes, Lord, she told him. I have always believed you are the Messiah the Son of God, the one who has come into the world from God. Literally, what Martha is saying here is that, yes, 
I have come to believe that you are exactly who you say you are. Even though my brother is four days dead, even though my prayer went unanswered, I believe that you are Messiah Jesus. You are God. That's a statement of faith if I've ever heard one. Because sometimes it seems like God comes a little too late. And we're faced with the same crisis of faith. Do you and I believe, do we still believe that Jesus is exactly who he says he is? And this really for us is the crux of the matter, isn't it? Like if we believe that Jesus is exactly who he says he is, this literally changes everything about us. It changes what happens when you get home today. It changes what happens when you go to work tomorrow. This belief, this fact, this, this that we hold as truth has to change everything about us or we don't believe it at all. Do you believe that Jesus of Nazareth is exactly who he says he is? That he's your friend, but he's more than a friend. That he's your rabbi, but he's more than a rabbi. That he is Messiah Jesus. He is the son of God. Because when you believe that, when you believe that to your core, I tell you, people who believe this, people who know this, people who have come across this, it changes everything. This is why I really enjoy, this sounds weird, but I, I don't mind going to funerals of those who have died in the Lord. Because we have hope. There's something different about walking in that room. This is why I don't mind going to visit you or your loved ones when they are sick in the hospital. Because we know. We already know how the story ends. Death has no power. It has no sting. We know. We know there is a God. And his name is Jesus. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory. And we know how the story ends. So we really, let's be honest, we have absolutely nothing to fear. And there is nothing to be afraid of. Whatever you're worried about, whatever's weighing on your mind this morning, Jesus has got it. He's got it. He is who he says he is. The question is, do you know him? Do you know him? I'll never forget uh, a few years ago, Will, my son, who is nine now, played for the Texas Rangers. A little bit of uh, Providence, I think. I know uh, we're excited. We're on the bandwagon. They're coming home today 2-0 uh, to take on those nasty Blue Jays, and we're going to be pulling hard tonight. If they're short, a bat, or if they need somebody at first base, I've got a guy um, who can step in at the last minute and play. Right, buddy? And, uh, but I'll never forget a couple of years ago, we played for the Rangers uh, over in Atlanta. That was his, his, uh, his little league team. And uh, I, I was an assistant coach that year, that season, and I love being a coach. I love being a coach because if you're a coach, you know this, right? Like if you're a parent, you have to sit in the bleachers outside the fence, right? But if you're a coach, what happens? You get to come inside the fence and you're on the field and you wear the shirt and you got the hat and you get to yell a little bit louder at the boys. Everybody's yelling because everybody thinks their child is the next, you know, whatever, going to make it in the MLB one day. But as a coach, you get to be on the field, you know? From the day my son was born, he's been one of my best friends. And, and now I get to be his coach, and we're on the field together. And at, at that level, I'm not sure, no, I don't think anybody hit a true home run over the fence. Maybe one kid did that year. 
But at that level, if you can hit the ball to the fence, you know this is true because you've been to Lily Games, you can get a home run, right? You can get a home run. And I'll never forget, Will's always had a good bat and he stepped up to the plate and I don't remember the count. He could probably tell you all the details of the story. But I remember he stepped up and he crushed the baseball and it went all the way to the fence. And we're just yelling, go, go. And the first base coach is doing the sign around the base. You know, by the time you come around first, that's about when the outfielders find the ball uh, in Little League when you're like seven, six, seven years old. And so now he's headed to second and they're getting the ball and to, to, to pick it up and to throw it in, that, that's at least a second base. And so he's coming around second. Now he's headed towards third and they're throwing it in. And once that throw is made from the outfield to the infield, anything can happen. And at this point it gets thrown in, but we don't even know where the ball is. And so we're waving him on home and he comes around there. He crosses home plate. It's an infield, I mean, it's an it's a in the park home run. And I grab my son because I'm, I'm a coach. I'm inside the fence and I throw him up in the air because I get to do that. And we celebrate and it's a holy moment because my son has just hit a home run for the Texas Rangers. Amen and amen, right? Wow. Let's pray. Um, <laughs> I love that. But you know, my, you know what the best part about that is? The best part about that is that I wasn't just my son's friend. I wasn't just his coach. I was his father. And you know what? I was there for that entire sequence of events. But you know what I loved even more? Was that after the game, the whole way home, what are we talking about? That home run. And he's telling the story over and over again. The next day at church, what are we doing? Everybody he sees, we're telling the story over and over again. Probably told that story a thousand times, and that's okay. Do you think as his father, I ever got tired of hearing that story? No. No. Because I love to hear the voice of my son. And I love that I get to be his father. And I love that I know him. And I love that he knows me. Maybe the most spiritual thing you can do today is have a conversation with your heavenly father. Because I can promise you this. He loves the sound of your voice. Does he know what happened today? Absolutely. Does he need you to rehash the details? Probably not. Would he love to hear your voice? Absolutely so. Maybe the most spiritual thing you can do today is talk to your dad and tell him what's going on. But I think a lot of us have done this. It's like, uh, it's like what if I had showed up on my wedding day with Alicia and stepped up there in her and her dress and me in my suit one of the only times I wore a suit. <laughs> and I said, hey, babe, I'm excited that we're gonna get married today. It's gonna be fantastic. I'm looking forward to our whole life together. But I need to let you know that after the ceremony and after this little week of the honeymoon, that I'm only gonna have maybe a couple days a week to check in with you. And even then for a couple of hours. <laughs> How long would that marriage have lasted? <laughs> yeah, well, it wouldn't have started. <laughs> I probably would have been slapped in the face and still single. That's not what a relationship looks like. But for many Christians, that's what the Christian life looks like. And we've missed it. That Jesus wants us to know him as friend, as rabbi, as the son of God. And he wants you to know him. He wants to know you better. And I know that sounds strange because he knows how many hairs are on your head and everything about you already. But he wants to know you even more. He has this insatiable desire to know everything about you. And he wants you to have the same insatiable desire to know everything about him. Why? Because he loves you. Because he loves you. 
And this is what love is. To know someone and not love them, to know all about someone and not know them is to use them, is to manipulate them, and is to have no responsibility in a relationship. There's no shared experiences of highs or lows. But to know and to be known, that is love. And no greater love has anyone than this than that he would lay down his life for his friends. And that's exactly what Jesus did for you and for me. Church, if you would stand with me. I'll tell you how the story ends. You know it, but I'll, I'll remind you. Jesus says, hey, take me to where Lazarus is buried. And, and they do. And maybe the most famous verse in all the Bible, John writes, Jesus wept. And for you and for me, that's a reminder that when you cry, he cries. He cares. He's with you, whatever you're going through. But then he prayed, and then he said, Lazarus, come out. And Lazarus wasn't so much resurrected as he was raised back to his former life. He would die again one day. But Jesus, your friend, your rabbi, is God. And he has power and authority over everything, even death. And there is no one like our God. Do you know him? I want to know him. I want to know him more and more and more and more every day. And I want you to know him more and more and more every day. This is what it is to be a follower of Jesus of Nazareth. God has a name. His name is Hope. His name is Jesus. And today, if you need help in your journey, if you're in one of those times when it seems like Jesus is far away, there's going to be shepherds, men and women around the room that would love to pray with you. I'll be up front. I'd love to learn your name and pray for you right here on the spot. And that's something we can do together because we're a family. We're a faith family. And we're on this journey as disciples of Jesus of Nazareth together. Let's sing.